Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bill's Chat, a pro football podcast. This is Josh. With me tonight is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, you know, been busy lately. Uh, got a friend's wedding coming up. I just got back from New Orleans, as we talked about uh, over a week ago. I'm about to head out to Columbus this coming weekend. A lot going on in my life, but um, I'm glad to be sitting down talking to you right now. Yeah, I guess we should just go ahead and mention that at the beginning of the show. Uh, next week, our episode's going to look a little bit different. Luca's going to be out of town. So we are going to tag in a friend, a fellow Bill's Chat member, a member of our Bill's Chat that was the reason why we started this show. We've mentioned him a few times on this show. Stokes, a big Bill's fan. He's going to fill in for Luca next week, and it'll be good to get a fresh perspective on all things Buffalo Bills this offseason. But Luca, you can't get away from us just yet. You have another episode to do here, and we've had some news this week with the Bills. We had another um, edition of OTAs today. Brandon Bean had a press conference announcing some front office moves. We had a Bills player suspended this week, and the Bills signed a former first-round pick. So uh, let's get into it, Luca. Uh, Let's start with the last thing I just mentioned, the former first-round pick. Tavon Austin, a 2013 eighth overall pick by the Los Angeles Rams. It was the St. Louis Rams at the time, is now a Buffalo Bill. Luca, when I heard that Tavon Austin was a Buffalo Bill, I was a little bit surprised because I think we've been calling for a while that the Bills needed to add a veteran wide receiver to this room just to add some depth. But I was thinking it was going to be more of a boundary type receiver. I don't personally view Tavon Austin in that mold. Now, I do know Joe Marino said this week that even though it's tempting to look at Tavon Austin's size and speed and look at him as more of a slot gadget player, that he actually has played the majority of his NFL snaps on the outside. My counter to that would be he has had a very underwhelming NFL career. So just because that's what he does doesn't mean that's what he's best at. I look at this more as a guy that can come in, create some competition in the punt return game maybe challenge for a roster spot. But to me, Luca, this move was big name, but probably very little substance. Um, Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, I look at it as just trying to bring in another potential dynamic body. He is a football player in my mind. I mean, we all, I mean, Tavon Austin, first thing that comes to everyone's mind, I know it is mine, and I'm sure it's everyone else, is just that infamous highlight reel that he put on at West Virginia. That is now uh, a long, long, long time ago. Uh, the Bills trade for EJ Manuel has come full circle. And um, all I'll say is I look at him as just a football player, as I mentioned. I look at it as they are bringing in a body that they feel could potentially fight for that roster spot, as you thought or think, I should say. I will say the punt uh, return and kick return kind of th- mindset is definitely where I lean on this as well. I think that's kind of where they're like, hey, let's bring him in. Let's see what he can do. Maybe he can be an actual receiver spot. But if not, this is definitely something to put into that returner slot just to because um, what you call it, McKenzie. I think they're going to try to really get involved in the offense this year. I think they want to make him you know, a little bit more of a regular occurrence with the offense now with Beasley gone and everything of that involved. Uh, because of that, uh, you just don't want to use, let's say, your fourth receiver or third receiver, however anyone looks at it, because you do have Jameson Crowder there as well. Um, you don't want to be using him as your regular returner. They want to make sure he's readily available for offense and not risking anything with the return game. So you want something else there. They're clearly not 
pleased with everything that's behind McKenzie as a return option. As you have mentioned numerous times, I don't think they want Micah Hyde returning anything anymore. Uh, I think they are far beyond that. They want to make sure he's absolutely okay to play defense with every start, every possible usage and snap that he can. Um, but yeah, it, I wouldn't go as short as what you said is not much substance going on there. I think Tavon Austin is just still, even at this point in his career, intriguing enough to worthy, you know, consideration in the offseason, in the preseason. Um, I, I, I'm not a Stevenson guy. I'm not all these other bodies behind, let's say, Crowder, Davis, Diggs, um, McKenzie, those four outside those guys. I don't I mean, Kumaro has his usage and his what he's there for is important. So he's probably going to still make the roster. But even like when it comes to an actual receiver outside those first four, I mentioned, I don't really like what's there personally. Um, I don't see much with all those other bodies. I know some people do like Stevenson and others that are there and they want to see them progress. But to me, Tavon Austin is a sign that they don't really see what they like out of those guys at this point in time. And they're just trying to bring in something else to see if, you know, maybe that competition or seeing a Tavon Austin, an experienced threat that, I mean, even those guys probably like, I, I don't want to say idolized, but they definitely took note to his earlier career and looked up to it maybe and wanted to be as dynamic as he seemed to have the potential to be. Um, and I'm being like that because I do also agree with his career has definitely not been as impactful as people had hopes coming out of West Virginia, that's for sure. Um, being the eighth pick overall in his draft. But um, I do think, I think it's a little bit more than no substance or little to no substance, as you put it. I think it's definitely something that they want to bring in competition for those guys that are borderline to make the roster and either that's going to pick them up or just show that they are not quite at the ability to be rostered because I think Tavon Austin at this point in his career potentially still has the ability to be rostered. Although I would, I, a side note, Really wish he went back to like number one and stuff like that. Him wearing 86 is just the weirdest thing to me. I feel like 86 does not fit a guy such as Tavon Austin. I wrote that in our notes. I know you see that there. Just a weird, weird little personal just side note on that. Why why couldn't he just go back to one? I mean, maybe one would have maybe he wants a full on change or maybe he just grabbed the closest jersey and the closest number to him and he didn't give a crap. Who knows? But. I do think there's a little bit more there than just, you know, preseason body. I think he is being brought in potentially to be the fifth receiving option. I'm not including Kumaro in this, although I do think Kumaro will make the roster. He just has his own niche, as we'll call it. Um, yeah, I, I think he's kind of being looked at as that fringe receiver, receive, uh, returner option. And I think at worst, he's going to be just a return option only. I mean, obviously, in his case, the worst is being cut, but that would only be if Stevenson or someone else behind him really picked up themselves in this preseason, which me personally, I don't see happening. It's going to be an important offseason for Marquez Stevenson. You really hit the point there that this is probably an indication that they don't fully trust him with that punt return job. Now, look, a punt return may sound like, okay, whatever, just get out there and catch the ball. But Catching the ball has been anything but fundamental for this Bills team. We saw the issues Isaiah McKenzie had uh, last year, and he's had throughout his career. And then you look at Marquez Stevenson, and he, in his limited 
returns last year when taking over from McKenzie, put the ball on the ground a couple times. So for someone like Stevenson, he really has to win the job either A, really grabbing a hold of that return job, or B, showing that he can be a useful wide receiver in this offense. One thing Stevenson has that not a lot of guys on this roster have, Tavon Austin does, is that game-breaking speed. So if he can put that, the tools together and become a useful wide receiver, that would certainly be good for his case for making this roster. But when you think about a punt return, someone like Sean McDermott, who really prioritizes turnovers and protecting the ball, when you muff a punt, it is almost worse than an interception. Because not only are you giving the ball back to the other team, you're putting your defense right back on the field who just got the emotional high of getting off the field and forcing a punt, and you're losing about 40 to 50 yards of field position in the process. So I don't think Sean McDermott has any interest in seeing any more punts muffed. This is a team that has championship aspirations, and what they can't do is afford to give away anything as far as games go in the punt return game. They had a punt blocked last year against Pittsburgh. That ended up costing them a home game against Kansas City in the playoffs. Little things like that are details that are very important to Sean McDermott. So I could see Tavon Austin if Stevenson doesn't step up or if Isaiah McKenzie doesn't grab a hold of the job, getting the job by default. Khalil Shakir also has some kick, some punt return um, history in his background, but I think that's a little bit overblown based on what he did in college. I don't know if he was necessarily dynamic at that. So it definitely is worth watching. I don't think he provides that, okay, if um, Davis or Diggs get injured, there's your backup boundary receiver. I still think right now that's probably Kumaro or maybe McKenzie, um, but I do think Tavon Austin does have a path to making this roster. Another piece of Bills news this week, Luca, Andre Smith, the reserve linebacker for the Bills, suspended for the first six games of the season. Um, performance enhancing drug violation. We don't really know what that entails, um, but that is what the press release said. Now, look, Andre Smith is a backup linebacker on this team. He's a special teams player. I think you could probably make the argument that either he or Dodson are the two best backup linebackers on this team, but the Bills did go out and they drafted two linebackers in this draft. And I think that between Terrell Bernard and Tyler Matikavich, those guys are going to be locks to make the team. To me, Luca, this move is great for a guy like Spectre, the guy that the Bills drafted in the seventh round of the draft. On our draft review show, we talked about how his path to making the roster was going to be very challenging. You talk about a seventh round pick trying to crack a roster that has this kind of depth and has championship aspirations. Well, what just opened up for any linebacker trying to make this team is an additional six-week window beyond preseason. You now have six weeks, the first six weeks of the season that Andre Smith is suspended to make your mark. And I think for someone like Balin Specter, those six weeks can be everything for him to prove he belongs on an NFL roster. Yeah, excellent point. I It became a two to three week, you know, preseason that he needed to kind of prove himself into. He really has a chance now, as long as he can show he's valuable come preseason and he's worth, you know, rostering due to special teams and kind of fill that Andre Smith role on special teams. He then gets a six game extension to really show if he's worth that roster spot or not. And yeah, that's that's a seventh round picks dream. Of course, you never wish ill on anyone else. It's unfortunate that Andre Smith got suspended, although it's probably or it seems to be his own doing. Um, 
potentially. I, I don't want to speculate that because I don't know how it happened. I know just what it was suspension over. Um, you know, funny things happen when they take these crazy vitamins or whatever that all of a sudden pings. So um not gonna speculate there, but if you're a seventh round pick like Spectre, yeah, this is this is best case scenario for him. I mean, this is like, okay, now you really have a chance because I think you're you're spot on. You know, Bernard and Matikavich are most likely gonna make the team. Dodson most likely gonna make the team. Um, and then yeah, that's where Spectre can hopefully, I mean, on cover, you know, kick coverage or whatever else on special teams that he's asked to do. If he can make a mark, if he can at least make a name for himself doing his job, that could easily make it potentially like, you know, he should be along, you know, belong for a ah, man stumbling over my words here. He should belong here for a longer <laughs> time. There we go. Got to it. it. Can't speak tonight. Um, Yeah, that that could definitely be big for him. And then who knows? I don't know how they would feel then about Andre Smith coming back. Maybe that, you know they would view him as expendable at that point. I don't think it maybe would go that far unless Spectre really showed some serious promise, but um, it's not, I'm not saying Andre Smith is anything beyond special. Like he, he was just, as you put it, backup linebacker, special teams. He definitely comes up with, you know, kick coverage tackles a lot. You hear his name, mm-hmm. you know, kick coverage a lot. And that's, that's kind of big. But all of a sudden, if you hear Spectre a lot, and then he looks, you know, functional when it comes to the linebacker position come, you know, third quarters of preseason games, Maybe they do look at it as like it's a like for like and hey, Andre Smith, sorry, you got pinged for a six game. As soon as that suspension's up, see you later. I don't know how cold they'll be about that, but you never know. And and that's all Spectre can hope for. You know, that's all you can hope for. What's the worst thing that could happen then busting your ass for, you know, six to nine weeks? And then if it doesn't work out for you, you're probably just going to be put on the practice squad and you're still kind of in the building. It just didn't work out this time around. And maybe you made enough of your name, you know, enough of the name for yourself. And then you can come here next offseason and really try to make an impact when, as we've discussed in the past, there might be a little more questions with that linebacker position. So you never know. It's a good thing for him. You know, wish him all the best. Hopefully he can really make an impact. It'd be fun to kind of find a seventh round gem. So uh, let's see what he's got. And I think there's little to no chance that this Andre Smith suspension really bites the bills in any sort of meaningful way. I guess there's always the possibility that Milano or Edmonds get injured in the preseason or early on in the season. And Terrell Dodson really hasn't improved as a guy that overruns gaps and runs himself out of plays. And Terrell Bernard just doesn't look NFL ready. And we're all just like, please give us anybody else. And then Andre Smith is that guy that would be next man up. But instead, Joe Giles Harris is out there. But that is a huge rabbit hole of multiple things that would need to happen before the impact of Andre Smith is felt. You make a good point about him being on special teams. They still have core special teamers like Tyler Matikiewicz, Jake Kumaro, Saran Neal. I expect them to be fine in that regard. And Balen Spector was a guy who was billed as one of the better special teamers in the entire draft. Um, All right, Luca, uh, Brandon Bean did have a press conference today because the Bills have made a couple front office moves and they weren't necessarily moves, just some guys in the front office getting some new titles. Brian Gain has been elevated to assistant general manager. This is coming from buffalobills.com. And that is um, taking over the role vacated by Joe Shane, who is now the general manager of the New York Giants. And Terrence Gray is now the director of player personnel. Now, the Bills did look for some outside 
um, candidates. They, they interviewed an assistant general manager with the Steelers for this role. I felt like all along it was going to be Brian Gain or Terrence Gray to get this role. Um, when you pay attention to what the Bills do, they're very big on when you look at you know personnel moves on the roster and in the front office. They are very big on develop and promote from within as long as they have a candidate that is worthy of that. You look at what they did with Ken Dorsey. Um, you look at what they've done over the years with guys like Ryan Bates, um, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary. Like they, they don't give up on people. They want to develop, get them into their culture, make them part of their team, and elevate them into big roles. And so I was not surprised when Brian Gain got this role. I don't expect him necessarily to be a guy that gets a GM job next year. He was a GM in Houston for a year, and quite frankly, it didn't go well. Um, his his only draft class was pretty atrocious. I think it started off with Tyson or Titus Howard in the first round, who is either out of the league now or is playing his way out of the league. Um, but he's very revered in the Bills draft room. If you watch the Bills embedded draft videos, he's the guy sitting right next to Brandon Bean when, and Terrence Gray when they're going over different trade scenarios. He's the guy calling other teams to see if they're interested. To me, Luca, this was pretty much as slam dunk as slam dunk gets. Yeah, I mean, I don't go as far as slam dunk just because his track record of actually being in a position of meaningful work was not great, as you put. Um, but there's what else you're going to do? I mean, unless someone blew you away outside the organization, of course, you're going to trust what you already hired. Obviously, you hired them for something else in the first place. You just believe in them and you just promote them to the next. It's just like any other co- you know, company. Unless someone applies for the position that's open, that just blows you away from outside the organization, you're going to promote within because they've been around for a reason. Um, the only thing that sparked my interest was during the uh, press conference that Bean had, he did note one uh, person he wanted to interview. He got refused on because he was already in a second to command position. Mm-hmm. He was very vague about it. I it just that was the only thing that drew my curiosity. I'm like, who was he trying to interview that was he was then blocked from? Um, but other than that, I mean it was just like it's almost like, you know, business as usual, hit the status quo, move on forward. You know, these are the kind of moves that I think are good. You know, it shows me that they like the people they have in place and just promote within and do, you know, keep the things, you know, keep things rolling. It, it you don't need to change anything. Don't break what's not broken, you know, all that kind of crap. Um, it, it, yeah, it's stuff that needs to happen because of course Joe Shane's gone and that's it. That's kind of all I leave it at. I, I don't have too much on this to be honest. Yeah. I, the one thing I actually like taking away from this is outside of these moves, the bills have beefed up their data analyst department. They've brought in a couple people um, to be the, analytics gurus of the department. And I'm a big fan of analytics. Look, I, I, I know that there tends to be a big debate, especially on football Twitter of analytics against old school. And to me, some of those conversations tend to remind me a lot of political conversations where if you're on one side, the other side is a bunch of idiots and they don't know what they're talking about. And it just becomes mudslinging. I think with politics, which we don't get into on this show with um, analytics versus old school football. I think the truth is always in the middle. I, I don't think that there's data out there that is hundred percent foolproof that tells you the right decision to make every time. I think you have coaches for a reason and they, there is emotion involved. They do have a feel for their team. 
I know that analytics people tend to roll their eyes at that. And they're like, well, the data says this. Well, you know, you have to give the coach a little bit of credit for understanding his team, standing on the sideline, understanding what's going on in the game and getting, having a good feel for what's going on there. But there, there needs to also be some data-driven decisions that happen. And the Bills have been out in front of a lot of that with some of their aggressiveness on fourth downs. And, and you look at their draft tendencies under Brandon Bean where um, their first-round picks are all positions that you would consider to be premier positions. Um, you might want to raise your hand and say, well, Tremaine Edmonds is an off-ball linebacker and analytics doesn't really view off-ball linebackers as premier position. But you have to understand that is a Sean McDermott defensive staple. His middle linebacker is never going to be just an average player. Luke Keekley in Carolina, they they ask a lot of their middle linebacker. But when you look at their first round picks, it's been two cornerbacks. It's been a quarterback. It's been that middle linebacker we talked about. It's been a bunch of pass rushers. Um, they spin a receiver, uh, first round pick on a receiver. So a lot of analytics driven decisions. I'm a big fan of this team staying in front of that trend. All right, Luca, one other piece of Bills news this week is fan favorite former Bills quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick has announced his retirement from the NFL. The retirement announcement actually came from former Bills running back Fred Jackson, who tweeted out that Fitzpatrick had messaged him and said he was retiring. And Luca, you know, Fitzpatrick is a guy that has been on countless teams. I mean, we could probably play a game right now to see if we could name all the teams, and I bet we'd leave a couple out. Um, but in many interviews, including one today with Trey Wingo, he went on to say that the Bills were always his favorite team. He feels Bills Mafia. He feels like he's part of Bills Mafia. And he even said today, and you know what's funny is I, I didn't think about this from like the standpoint of news. Um, but he said today that, um, when you look at his career, uh, whenever he's been on a team, he's almost kind of like a curse because he goes to the team as a backup and then something weird happens and the starters out and then he has to go in and play. Um, like Geno Smith got punched by a teammate. I came in poly, um, something weird happened with Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay that led to him playing He had a suspension um, for three games. Okay. The Jameis Winston suspension. And then, um, you know, there were his very first rookie year in St. Louis, he, he got on there because I think Mark Bolger was injured. And it's just he views himself as almost like a curse. And it was really cool to see because he said, I didn't want to come be a backup quarterback for the Bills because the world deserves to see Josh Allen play. I want to see Josh Allen play. And nobody wants to see me out there when Josh Allen should be out there. And then I thought that was hilarious. I posted it in our group chat. And now I'm thinking wait a minute, did he have an offer to be the backup quarterback for the Bills? Because that would have made a lot of sense. But Luca Fitzpatrick retires. You know, he's a fan favorite. He was at the playoff game last year with his shirt off in the cold weather, cheering on the Bills. Um, he's kind of a cult hero in Buffalo. Um, just overall thoughts about Fitzpatrick retiring, what it means. Um, should he sign the one-day contract? Just where are you at with all this? Yeah, I mean... First and foremost, on the last point you made, I would love to see him sign a one-day contract with the Bills. Um, I thought someone asking Bean about that in today's press conference was interesting and that Bean had even said that he essentially welcomes it, but it's entirely up to Fitzpatrick and he recognizes that Fitzpatrick played with, uh, I believe it was eight other teams because I believe his total number was nine, as you may have said. Um but Fitzpatrick always is going to be one of those guys that, you know, Bills fans are going to remember. He, they will always kind of like he's he's kind of the epitome of the drought era. He's kind of the 
I don't want to say poster boy because it's almost like then you're kind of a poster boy of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But he's a poster boy of a good thing during a horrible time that is the drought era. I guess he was kind of, I mean, and we'll discuss it. And I know we have a long, you know, we're almost dedicating this episode to him. And that kind of shows you what he ultimately means to, uh, I would imagine, all Bills fans, but kind of just football fans in general. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick and what makes Ryan Fitzpatrick amazing is the fact that I don't believe there is one NFL fan out there that could possibly think negatively of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Exactly. And that's remarkable. And the other part of it is it's not like any fan base doesn't know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He has made that big of a stamp on the NFL. He has made that much of an impact on the NFL. And that's incredible. Not many players can truthfully say they've done that to an entire generation of fans in the league of which they made a career of. I mean, that's he he had a 17 year career. There are Hall of Famers with shorter careers than that. That's just, it's my hat, uh, tip of the hat, man. It is just, it's awesome. It, it's, he is the, how did I even put it? Like just the ultimate unlikely 17 year career. Like he is just, it's remarkable to see what he went through. I mean, it's funny that he had the self-acknowledgement to be like, I'm kind of a curse everywhere I went, stuff like that happened. I mean, I think when he made his de- debut and had the comeback against the, uh, David Carr, Houston Texans in 2005. I remember that game just fun fact only because the uh, NFL primetime, a weird, weird thing that just sticks in my head. I remember turning on NFL primetime back when it was still on TV and um, what you call it. They were just in love with Ryan Fitzpatrick when talking about the highlights just because it's a quarterback out of Harvard, first quarterback out of Harvard to ever play in the NFL, all that fun stuff that came with it. And it was just like, he was just slinging balls to Torrey Holt and stuff. And it was just like, who the hell is this guy? Like, it was just, I, rem- I remember the highlight tape still to this this day. And I'll probably always remember it. It's just a weird thing as a kid, <laughs> I remember. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like he came, he came in because, you know, as you mentioned, Bulger was hurt, but Bulger was hurt going into that game. And I want to, I'm trying to like, remember the guy's name. It was some generic, you know, classic backup quarterback, like, and he got concussed, I believe in that game. All of a sudden Fitzpatrick comes in and he has no idea what he's doing. And he's trying to, you know, demand things out of a huddle that has Tory Holt and Marshall Falk and, you know, the greatest show on turf essentially, or the tail end of it. <laughs> and he even like openly says like, you know, he had no idea what he was doing. Like he just kind of went in there. It was like, yeah, I'm just, uh, he was just trying to play ball and like it worked out somehow, some way it worked. Um, and I, then I believe he actually lost the next three games. So yeah, it, 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 tore it up <laughs> against Houston and then couldn't move the ball the next few weeks. Right. Exactly. But, um, no, I mean, it's, it's amazing that he had the self-acknowledgement of all the curse and stuff, but you know, I do think there was something in it. I think for him to have the acknowledgement of, you know, Maybe that was more of a fan pressure. They wanted him to come back as we had even mentioned. We would have loved to see him come back. Um, But maybe there was something there. Maybe originally Bean may have reached out and been like, hey, we have this backup position we may need filled. Would you be interested just because your name kind of fell on my desk? You know, maybe someone brought it up in a meeting and, you know, was like, hey, this would be a good idea. You know, pretty reliable backup as he's already shown recently in Miami and stuff like that, you know. Maybe that was discussed, and then Fitzpatrick at that point was already contemplating retirement. Who knows? Um, but 
I love that he had enough respect for Josh Allen and the Bills to be like, I would never do that to you guys. <laughs> I love that. I love everything about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I will never say an ill thing about him. And I think it's incredible just to wrap this point up real quick so we can keep it going here about him. It's incredible to me that no one can say anything negative about him and everyone that has been a football fan for, let's say, at least the past decade knows exactly who he is. And that just tells you how awesome and important he was to the NFL, to be honest. Yeah. And the thing about him being the backup quarterback is it would have also checked the box as a guy that Josh Allen gets along with. They've golfed together. They, I know they're friends. There is a huge age gap there, but I know they talk. They're friendly. That would have been kind of cool to see. You bring up a good point. Everybody knows who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. Um, he's had you know different versions of success everywhere he's been. Unfortunately, he's never been to the playoffs, but he's had good numbers. And look, I got to thinking about this today. With Ryan Fitzpatrick, there were 16 quarterbacks, 16 quarterbacks between the day that Jim Kelly retired and the day that Josh Allen was drafted that started for the Bills. Now, one of those was Matt Castle, who started for one play on a trick play because Tyrod Taylor was lined up as a wide receiver, but 16 quarterbacks nonetheless. Where does Ryan Fitzpatrick rank on that list of Bills quarterbacks? Now, it's not exactly a Hall of Fame list of quarterbacks. It's Todd Collins, Alex Van Pelt, Doug Flutie, Rob Johnson, Drew Bledsoe, J.P. Lossman, Kelly Holcomb, Trent Edwards, Brian Brom, E.J. Manuel, Thad Lewis, Jeff Toole, Kyle Orton, Tyrod Taylor, Matt Castle, and Nathan Peterman. Luke, I was thinking about this today, and I came away, I think, surprised at how high I had Fitz rated, but I want to hear what you think. Where do you think Fitz rates out of those 16 quarterbacks in Bill's history. Now, I want to I want to specify something very quickly before I before I pass it to you. Drew Bledsoe had a better career than Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's not even debatable. But we're talking about how they performed as Buffalo Bills. So, if we're going to start counting Drew Bledsoe's stats in New England, this isn't really even a conversation, but uh comparing Fitzpatrick to the list of quarterbacks when they played on the Bills, how highly do you rank him compared to those other 16? I think we recorded an earlier episode where you brought up a great point because I think the the two names that come to mind that I would say people would maybe argue are Doug Flutie and then Drew Bledsoe. I think Drew Bledsoe going to it and where I was originally going to start. Um, you've brought it up on a previous episode where when you really look under the hood of Drew Bledsoe's time as a bill early on, he had like a great eight games. Essentially, he had a really good beginning stretch to his career as a bill, and then it just kind of all fell apart. It just did not work. It clearly he was a shell of what he looked to be when he was in New England. Um, he obviously rebounded a little bit in Dallas afterwards, but as a Bill, I don't think he is above um, Fitz Magic. Doug Flutie is a little bit more of an inter- interesting argument um, because now you're kind of getting into the classification of you know what does it mean to be better. Because as we were talking off air briefly, and obviously this is the time to bring it up, Ryan Fitzpatrick blows Doug Flutie out of the water when it comes to basically every stat. The only stat he doesn't is win-loss in the record, where Doug Flutie actually has a very nice record of 21-9. and Fitzmagic on some god-awful teams, of course, finished with a career record as a bill as 20-33. and 
Um, but that's kind of the key. You know, Doug Flutie was on good teams, good teams that he then managed, still managed to also throw plenty of interceptions, as I know you brought up off air while trying to manage a game. But he managed the game and had a great team around him so that they could, you know, not lose and ultimately win. Whereas Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, the most uh, unlikely gunslinger probably in NFL history, <laughs> to be honest. You're not expecting a quarterback coming out of Harvard to just come into the NFL and just have an absolute you know, pass first, just throw it all over the place and see how it goes mentality. Um, but even on those god-awful teams and everything like that, I mean, he still threw for 80 touchdowns and had 64 interceptions. A positive net touchdown-interception ratio on teams that went like four and 12 and six and 10, um, things like that. Like, honestly, that's pretty damn good in my opinion. I mean, he did the best he could with some of the uh, stuff. I mean, there's a game we'll probably bring up, you know, later in this episode where his leading receiver was someone that I don't think many fans really just honestly remember at this point. Like you would never guess the leading receiver in one of those games that we all remember of his happened to be, I believe, I want to say it wasn't Stevie Johnson. I'm almost positive in that game. It was, uh, what's his name? Which game are you talking uh, about? I'm going to 2011 week three against the Patriots. The Patriots. Is that game. Donald Jones? Was, yeah, I was going to say it was Donald Jones. I'm almost mm-hmm. positive. Well, I know and, Donald Jones had the big game against the Patriots in 2012 where they got out to a huge lead and then it was just like an onslaught of Patriot <laughs> touchdowns and the Bills got their doors yeah, blown no, up. I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, when just double checking some stuff and I, I was trying to get yeah. to my notes there, but yes, and I, I was correct. I finally got there. Donald Jones was his leading receiver of that game. I mean, Donald Jones is not exactly a guy that's going to, you know, shred it up everywhere here. So, and that was the kind of, I mean, Scott Chandler was his tight end for, you know, I think basically the entire time he was here. And then, you know, Stevie Johnson, of course, as we all know, is his number one receiver other than the one year he got to throw to T.O., who also, by the way, says T.O. has said on, you know, I think it was on a podcast that Fitzpatrick threw his favorite ball of his career, which Think about the quarterbacks that Terrell Owens has played with. That's an incredible thing for him to say. I wish I had it written down. It just popped in my head now. I wish I wrote this down. But I do remember a clip where Terrell Owens said Ryan Fitzpatrick threw his favorite ball out of all quarterbacks he's worked with. And that's just, I mean, when one of the top four wide receivers of all time, and I say top four just because there's a lot of debate about it, but one of the top four receivers of all time, basically says that you were his favorite ball thrown his way. That is very, very high honor. And so, yes, to come back to your question, is he the best quarterback in between Kelly and Allen? My opinion is yes. I think for a multitude of reasons, he is. And, you know, you can go to stats, everything but record, of course, but record is not a quarterback stat. Record is a team stat. So I hate that being held accountable or held against or for even in that matter quarterbacks. I think that should be completely eliminated, you know, standing on a soapbox real quick. I think record to judge a quarterback is ridiculous. You know, a quarterback can win or lose a game. Yes, but he is never the sole reason a team won or lost a game or very, 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 very rarely the sole reason. 
that is a ridiculous thing to wait, you know, how good or bad any player for that matter is. You cannot judge a single player based on that. Is a quarterback most important when it comes to a team? Yes. And that's where people will argue against me. But regardless, it's a team game. It's a team that wins. It's a team that loses. It's stupid to put that on one player. You take that aside. He is by far the best quarterback in between those two quarterbacks we are judging this on. So for that alone, yes. Entertainment value alone, probably also a yes. I mean, I don't know many people that didn't enjoy Fitzpatrick. He had some god-awful games, of course, but a lot of these quarterbacks in between those two had a lot of god-awful games. I mean, Doug Flutie, every, everyone remembers the magic in the you know Flutie magic and everything that he did when we were winning during his height. But at the same time, it was just kind of like flashes or a stretch of games and things like that. Just like all these other quarterbacks, just like Tyrod, just like Fitzpatrick. I mean, even I'm trying to think like, I guess you can maybe say, Oh no, no, I, I think I'm going to end there. I don't even think JP Lossman, Trent Edwards or any of them could even string together some games. Well, maybe Trent Edwards, you know, early 2008, I guess he was able to do something. I don't know. Basically not. I mean, Trent Edwards is, I'm not going to give any props to Trent Edwards. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. The answer to your question is yes. He is the best quarterback in between those two. I thought it was a great question by you. Uh, props to you for even just immediately coming up with that thought. I mean, <laughs> I didn't even in- realistically include Brian Brom or Jeff tool or Matt castle in there just because they were like, I think Brian Brom's two recorded starts. Jeff tools one. It'd be it's unfair to those guys, and they're not even expected to be guys starting. Matt Castle only had one start, and I think it was barely a start to begin with. So I didn't even put him on my list altogether. It was um, one play. I, yeah, exactly. Like he he officially started because of the package that we came out there to start. Like that's not fair to him. I'm not I'm not going to put him under the bus in this kind of thing. Um, and again, Brian Brown and Jeff Tool are guys that should have never started in the NFL to begin with. It's actually remarkable that they got starts. You know, I will say Brian Brom at one point was a preseason Heisman favorite at Louisville. That's probably the height of Brian Brom, but that's not saying much. Um, so yeah, Fitzpatrick deserves the ranking of best quarterback in that span. And I think it's fair for people to argue maybe Flutie and or, and or Bledsoe, but honestly, I don't think you have much of an argument there. And it should ultimately always come back to Fitzmagic. So there's a lot there. I'll start with the Terrell Owens thing. Um, all due respect to Fitzpatrick. It's probably laughable at worst to think that Fitzpatrick throws a better ball than Steve Young, Donovan McNabb, oh. Um, t- oh. Tony Romo. I think it's <laughs> Carson Palmer. Like, I, you know, Terrell Owens didn't necessarily get along with his quarterbacks. So it doesn't surprise me that the one he got along with, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he didn't want to throw under the bus. Uh, but hey, you're you right. He did. Yeah. You take what he's you like, get. Fitzpatrick will be the one that talks him up. So be it. Um, Let's see. Um, The Okay. So if we're talking about the best Bills quarterbacks in between Josh Allen and Jim Kelly, there's a lot to chew on. We did have somebody comment on our tweet that it's not exactly, you know, the best list there. I think if you're going by peaks, it has to be Bledsoe. Bledsoe's 2002 was outstanding. Now it was a roller coaster ride in itself where it was a very hot start and kind of a slow finish, but overall Bledsoe was dominant in 2002, made the pro bowl and the bills offense was flying 4,000 yards, all that. 
Um, if you're also going to go by peaks, you know, Fitzpatrick at his best was pretty decent, but he didn't touch blood. So if you're going by excitement, I think you can make an argument for Tyrod Taylor. I think you can make an argument for Doug Flutie based on excitement, but when it comes to, we got to have a Doug Flutie conversation, people. Um, maybe sit down if you're a Bills fan out there that remembers Doug Flutie and you romanticized the Flutie flakes and you you remember it as being this great time in Bills history. Walk with me. Talk with me. We're going to get through this together. We're going to have a tough conversation right now. Doug Flutie was not that good. I was a Bills fan just like you were during that time. I loved Doug Flutie because the alternative was Rob Johnson and Rob Johnson could not move the football. Rob Johnson was a toolbox, very similar to Josh Allen, where he was big, he was fast, he had a cannon arm. Unfortunately, that's where the comparisons to Josh Allen ended and Rob Johnson could not read a defense, could not read a pass rush and could not move a football team functionally. So in turn, Doug Flutie made more sense for that team to be on the field. Doug Flutie had some exciting plays, drew it up in the dirt, so to speak, and had some very good records with the Bills. There were some fun moments that the last play of the game against Jacksonville was a fun moment. Um, Doug Flutie's Bills went to the playoffs twice. The Bills defense in 1998 and 1999 was outstanding. Not just good, it was outstanding. Doug Flutie was throwing passes to Eric Moulds, and Andre Reed, okay? Ryan Fitzpatrick, as Luca just said, was throwing passes to Stevie Johnson, Donald Jones, David Nelson, Scott Chandler. We, we have to stop romanticizing how good Doug Flutie was. Doug Flutie was, was good for that team at that time, and coming off of Todd Collins, Alex Van Pelt, and then what we had seen of Rob Johnson, Flutie was definitely a breath of fresh air. But this idea that Doug Flutie was some sort of all-time great quarterback or even an all-time good quarterback, it's just not factually correct. He was very decent in 1998. Then the NFL caught up with him, and his stats just plummeted after that. They they took a steady decline after 1998. And I'm telling you, this is not going to be fun to listen to. There is a reason why Ralph Wilson started Rob Johnson in the playoff game. Ralph Wilson didn't just fall in love with Rob Johnson because he he threw a bunch of touchdown passes against the Colts backups in week 17. Ralph Wilson saw the writing on the wall that he had a championship caliber defense and enough players on offense that if he could just get anything out of his quarterback, the team could win the Super Bowl. And he saw a quarterback in Doug Flutie that was holding the team back. So he decided to roll the dice on Rob Johnson. Did it work out? No. Doug Flutie was better than Rob Johnson, but it wasn't the wrong move. That was a championship move. You had to see what you had in Rob Johnson. I think Doug Flutie and Ryan Fitzpatrick actually statistically are fairly similar. Um, I would give the edge to Fitzpatrick, though, because Fitzpatrick did a lot more with a lot less, at least offensively. The team did not have team success. Flutie threw a lot of interceptions. Fitzpatrick threw a lot of interceptions. Um, I would take Flutie. I would take Fitzpatrick over Flutie. The Bledsoe one's a little bit tougher for me because Bledsoe in 2002 was outstanding. Fitzpatrick never touched that level. But um, after that, Bledsoe could not move the ball in 2003 at all. And then in 2004, the team was led by their defense in their running game when they went nine and seven. And then I think Tyrod Taylor at least deserves a seat at the table. He was a fun quarterback. He protected the ball. If I had a game to win with my life on the line, I might choose that Tyrod Taylor, 
not the one we've seen recently, that Tyrod Taylor over Fitzpatrick because Tyrod Taylor protected the ball. He made plays with his legs. Tyrod Taylor was never going to lose you the game. Now, he wasn't going to win you the game. He was going to check it down. He was going to make plays here and there. I might consider Tyrod Taylor over Fitzpatrick, but I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to fight you saying Fitzpatrick is the best one. He He's definitely, to me, over Flutie. He probably has to be over Tyrod, although I think that's a little bit closer of a conversation than maybe we, we want to admit. And I think he outranks Bledsoe because Bledsoe had that one good year and then plummeted. And then as far as like JP Lossman, Trent Edwards, Kelly Holcomb, you, you know, the guy who probably deserves to be in this conversation, Luca, and I'm going to throw it back to you on this one because you may have an opinion is Kyle Orton might might actually uh, deserve a seat at this table for how, how he played for the Bills in 2014. Oh, yeah. If you take the small window of Kyle Orton, I was going to say that, actually. So when you said with the game on the line, um, you know, who do you want? I love Tyrod. I, you know, Ty God was a guy I backed even to people that just wanted nothing to do with him for whatever ungodly known reason. It's so um, frustrating. I, the, it's the, the, so the hatred, s- the hatred. Of, <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you, but the You're the good. way people are misremembering Tyrod Taylor, it's almost like. You have this girlfriend who you get along with, and then you meet your your love of your life, and she becomes another person becomes your wife, and you're just like, well, I have to talk bad about my old girlfriend. No, Tyrod Taylor was a great girlfriend for the Bills. She he just wasn't wife material. They met Josh Allen. It's okay to compliment Tyrod Taylor. It's not a slight against Josh Allen. I don't understand why so many fans are in such a hurry to diminish what Tyrod Taylor did as the Bills quarterback. Absolutely infuriating, spot on, perfect. Um, yeah, so you know, I love Tyrod Taylor. Um, I love Fitzpatrick. You know, we we're gonna continue to talk about Fitzpatrick, I believe, even more. Um, and then you know, Flutie for me, childhood Flutie, like he 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 does tug at the heartstrings enough where it's like, oh, I love Flutie so much. I'm with you where I think people remember him better than he actually was, even though I was very young when he was playing. I still kind of remember him. I mean, there's a reason Flutie was kind of like bounced around, never could stay in the NFL, played in the CFL, kind of had a second career, you know, second half resurgence, whatever you want to call it, you know, after the Toronto and then came to the Bills and kind of gave it one more last ditch effort. And it still kind of was like, hey, we kind of need to look elsewhere because this is not going to be a, you know, this can't be a long term plan. It, it It's you have to just be okay with that. It's, it's fine. Um, and then yes, as you said, Bledsoe, his peak is definitely the best. But if, if you were to ask me of all those bills, quarterbacks with the game on the line, who would I want to win? I actually might go with Kyle Orton. Mm-hmm. I, that year where he literally had no reason to care. He had no reason to like need to provide anything for us. And it's debatable Absolutely. if he did care. Right. I mean, maybe he didn't. He was just like, screw it, man. I mean, I'm just get. I need to just play out this year. Like, that's all I need to do, because clearly EJ Manuel wasn't working out. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to play and, you know, have fun, whatever. He just casually has a 12 game span throwing for 3000 yards, you know, 18 tutters, 10 interceptions, you know, seven and five record. I mean, he I, I think he may have lost us one or two games, but he definitely went out there and won us two or three games. And it's Fitzpatrick. You can also say did the same thing. I just think Fitzpatrick, the peaks and the lows are way higher and lower um, when it comes to just winning you a game or losing your game. 
Fitzpatrick was a true coin flip. And unfortunately, a lot of times it landed on the wrong side. Um, Kyle Orton seemed like a true coin flip and you really had a 50, 50 shot. Like you were, you were either going to get a Kyle Orton that could really both manage the game and make the throws you needed him to make and go and win you a game if needed. But once in a while, just because of where he was in his career at that point in his career, you know, sometimes it just wasn't working out for him and you have to almost like acknowledge that and be okay with it. I mean, he was in the twilight of his career. He was just collecting his last paycheck and he, he was gone. Like that was what he was at that point. I'm okay with that. You know, if, if we were to talk about peak careers here, because I mean, we're not going to, I'm not putting Drew Bledsoe in this just because obviously peak Drew Bledsoe in his career, we're probably taking of any of these guys, but I mean, Fitzpatrick hit the peak of his career was as a bill. If you just kind of turn back the time a little bit on Kyle Orton a couple years, I, I think it would have been a totally different story and people would have a lot bit, you know, a, a different vision of Kyle Orton uh, when it comes to Bill's faithful. I loved Kyle Orton. I love, I, it's just like, it's kind of like how I love Jay Cutler, not to bring up a weird guy to compare with Kyle Orton because I think they're different quarterbacks entirely, but their attitudes seem very similar where they just did not give a shit. And I love that part. Like everyone loves the, you know, rah, rah guy and stuff like that and really wants to be in it and all that sort of thing. But it's almost like a nice refreshing, like he's just cool, collected and doesn't give a shit. That's like, yeah, this guy could literally throw two picks to start the game and then just come back in and throw another 280 and three tutters and we win. Like it's not going to affect him because he just doesn't care. And there's a weird thing that gives you a comfort in that. Um, I love that personally. I don't think you need a rah-rah guy. Now, all that said, I love that Josh Allen is that rah-rah guy and just gets jacked up and it almost makes him better, but everyone's different. So however they make it work, that's cool. So having a guy who's just sitting back, having a stove after a game or whatever, you know, needs a dart in between drives to keep it going. Um, Yeah, it's... I think Kyle Orton needs to be kind of considered here. I, I think Kyle Orton needs to be a guy that constantly gets brought up because even in that short span as a Bills quarterback, he he deserves some love. I mean, he was a game away from bringing us to the playoffs, essentially. Mm-hmm. Just one bad game. That's it. <laughs> one, and I don't even think it was that horrible of a game on his part. It's just as a team, we didn't show up, essentially. And we still were pretty close. And I mean, that's that. We, we could have had... Kyle Orton breaking the Kyle Orton could have been the folk hero breaking the drought, not Tyrod Taylor. And like, honestly, could you imagine just like having posters of Kyle Orton as the savior of getting us out of a drought? All he needed to do was win one game. That's it. Unfortunately, he didn't, but he won us a lot of games before then to get us into that predicament. And that would be why I would probably put him in that spot because he had no reason to care. As I brought up earlier, he probably, as you brought up, probably still didn't care. <laughs> he was just showing up to end his career. And at that point, he still almost made it happen. So I actually would probably take Kyle Orton or Fitzpatrick over Tyrod in your scenario that you brought up, uh, just to tie it up with a bow here. I, I think I would choose those two just because I like the guys that go out there and get it rather than the person that manages it. But I am very okay with you saying Tyrod, like, because I love Tyrod and I think you wouldn't be in a big hole because of Tyrod Taylor. So it's not like you would need him to really go out and attack a game either. Like unless something catastrophic happens on the defensive side of the ball, which honestly no quarterback is really 
set to bring you back unless they're, you know, a hall of famer at that point. Yeah. I I would probably choose the two guys that are gunslingers just because that's my personal preference. I think it's perfectly okay to say Tyrod Taylor as well. Um, Drew Bledsoe, I think just, just not there when it comes to his bills career, just cause yeah, he started out hot and then it just kind of really flamed out and it just left such a bad taste in my mouth that he actually couldn't move the ball at all. That it's just like, yeah, I can't trust that at all. You know, the thing about Kyle Orton, and he definitely deserves a seat at the table, and we need to reiterate, this isn't exactly a VIP club table they're sitting at. Like this is the Bills quarterbacks between Josh Allen and Jim Kelly. Um, So Kyle Kyle Orton in 2014 coming in for 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and going 7-5 and and bringing them within an eyelash of the playoffs – 64% 64% completion percentage, 6.8 yards per attempt. That's solid. Kyle Orton lost a lot of Bills fans in that Denver game against the Peyton Manning Broncos. That was a game that a lot of people just felt like, oh, the Bills are going to go get steamrolled. And they were in that game for a while. And there was a third down run that if if you use your Josh Allen goggles to watch this run, it'll just make you nauseated. He's coming up on the, on the first down. He, he's scrambling for it. And instead of you know, putting his shoulder down. It was a big moment in the game. He just slides and gives himself up. And I think that's where someone like a Tyrod and a Fitzpatrick, and I will say Flutie, like 100% Flutie, like the, those guys left it on the line. And that's why they are just so loved by Bills fans. Tyrod, Flutie, Fitzpatrick, they would lay out for plays. Um, Tyrod was, you know, he had that leg injury against the Titans because he just kept diving into hits in his first year as quarterback. He, he sold out all the time. And, you know, I know people remember him as being kind of gun gun shy late in his career, but, um, and checking the ball down and Fitzpatrick would always dive for the first down. And Fitzpatrick was not afraid to throw interceptions. And that's why receivers like Terrell Owens and Mike Evans loved him. And to bring it back to Fitzpatrick, that, combination of Fitzpatrick and Stevie Johnson was so amazing to watch because I'm convinced and I love Stevie Johnson. I don't think Stevie Johnson would have been Stevie Johnson without Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I don't mean that as any kind of a slight Stevie Johnson was a solid receiver, had a, had a solid skill set, but the connection those two had where Stevie Johnson pretty much um, made up his routes as he was going and Fitzpatrick could just read his body and tell where he was going. It was something special and they made Darrell Rivas look silly at times. Um, so that was a lot of fun. You know, the Kyle Orton point, I think he's almost the antithesis of a Ryan Fitzpatrick where, you know, you mentioned it before Fitzpatrick was kind of like that little engine that could, that a lot of bills fans just remember the drought of like, we have the likable players who are the underdogs, not the most talented group, but we root for them because they get the most out of their ability. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is certainly in that group. Um, you know, maybe Stevie Johnson's in that group. Um, you know, you, you can go through the names, but Kyle Orton is a guy that was a polished quarterback at Purdue. He was a third round pick, you know, a little bit more of a prototype, um, certainly more attributes as far as throwing the ball than, than Fitzpatrick, more size, all of that. And then just kind of comes out there and looks like, you know, he'd just be content smoking a stogie and, you know, doesn't really care. I mean, I don't want to say he doesn't care. He's professional. This is what he does for a living, but just the attitude that he had in that Denver game was was very off-putting. And then for him to just retire after the season ended, it just, it just felt like 
for as good as I felt like that 2014 Bills team was, that might be the least likable Bills team of my lifetime because you had a grouch as a head coach in Marone who quit after the season ended. You had a quarterback in Kyle Orton who didn't look like he really cared playing quarterback. And what was the most depressing part of it was you've heard the expression like you don't know how bad your eyesight is until you put on glasses for the first time and you're like, oh my God, my eyes were really bad. It's like we didn't realize how bad our quarterbacks had been until Kyle Orton comes in and is like, oh, so this is what an NFL quarterback looks like. Like he's making reads. He's going from one read to the next. He's throwing receivers open. He doesn't need the receiver to look wide open before throwing the ball. It's like, so wait a minute. All this, like maybe EJ Manuel's the guy. Maybe um, maybe JP Lossman's the guy. Like all these years of talking ourselves into, into people that ended up being very inferior and Kyle Orton comes in and he's better than all of them. And it's like, oh my gosh, if if Kyle Orton is outshining our list of quarterbacks by that much, we really, really, really have been below the Mendoza line at that position. So, you know, I, I don't know if I can put him one. I think he's at the table. I agree with you over Bledsoe. I think I'd probably lean Tyrod, but it's close. It's close. And, you know, there was a lot of good memories with Fitzpatrick at quarterback and the way his teammates talk about him is, you know, it's, it's legendary. Eric Wood goes on and on about him and Fred Jackson raves about him. And you look at the way that the teammates he has, we talked about Terrell Owens, but the teammates he had in Tampa Bay and New York, they still talk about him. He's a special person. And, you know, he's much more than that little engine that could, that I, that I described, you know, he played in the, in the league for, what was it 17 years? <laughs> they don't just let average players stick around for 17 years. He obviously had a, a special skill set, whether it's personality or ability to go to a new team and pick up their playbook. He's a special player. And I was thinking about this today, Luca, when, when you look at um, the landscape of NFL broadcasts, I think it's gotten a little dry. Um, you know, like the big groups are, are the big tandems are Joe Buck and Aikman. And then you have Collinsworth and he's not with Al Michaels anymore. Um, he's with Tarico, and then Al Michaels is with Kirk Herbstreet. And I don't know, to me, they all kind of end up sounding the same. I'd love to see someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick get one of those gigs. I think maybe he could bring similar to what Tony Romo does a little bit of personality to the, to the, um, to the sport. I don't know if that's something he would be chasing, but man, I, I hope Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't just go away. I hope he either lands with ESPN or lands on one of the networks or starts a podcast, you know, put him in the studio with Pat McAfee. I don't know. I, I, I don't want Ryan Fitzpatrick to go away. It's interesting that you said bring him in the studio with Pat McAfee, just because I think that kind of leads into another thing. But um, I think when the rumor came out about a day after it was uh, Fred Jackson announcing he, uh, Fitzpatrick was retiring, uh, incidentally, um, it was interesting that the rumor then came out that there are links potentially of Fitzpatrick going to Amazon. And I loved it. As soon as I heard that rumor, I loved it because I'm with you. Don't let Fitzpatrick fade away. Don't let him just disappear. And I don't think he would. I think um, Fitzpatrick is kind of that character that definitely wants to stay around the game. I think he loves the game. There's a reason he was in the NFL for 17 years. There's a reason he was still trying to find gigs. And I, I do think, you know, everything he said about like this was just he knew it was time. It was just that time. I mean, 
it's interesting that he had a major injury, you know, last season, unfortunately, you know, right out the gate with Washington and was never able to really get back. And unfortunately, that seems to be how his career has ended. Um, but at the same time, it's almost like you can literally tell yourself you gave it all. Unfortunately, your body and everything is just telling you it's time. Um, and he can come to peace with that. Um, so to stay around the game, what better than have Amazon, who seems to be just throwing cash at people to come along and make their product better, which I am very interested to see, especially since they have L. Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, as you mentioned, because I do think that will be honestly a much better duo than L. Michaels and Colin Collinsworth. Um, but I think if they added Fitzpatrick and then also potentially McAfee that people seem to keep rumoring about. That would be a hell of a broadcast. If you imagine a situation of where you have Al Michaels, maybe a little more unhinged on Amazon because it is Amazon and they're trying to, you know, draw interest. And then you have, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, who I think does a great job mm -hmm. when it comes to college football. And I think it'll translate naturally. He even did some of those, you know, doubleheader Monday night NFL stuff or stood in. And I thought he did a fantastic. Fantastic job. He's a great, great color commentator. Oh, he's going to be an absolute home run. Oh, he's he's awesome. I love Kirk Herbstreet. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I might question how real of a person he is, but ultimately as an as a TV personality, yeah. I think he's great. He's good at his job. He's very, very good at his job. Um, but then if you then bring in the relationship that Pat McAfee has already developed massively with those two individuals and is seeming, I mean, I don't understand how he's not in demand. I feel like it's more on him just waiting for the perfect opportunity than people approaching him with opportunities. So maybe this is finally the one that pulls him in and then they get Fitzpatrick also involved in this. Maybe you create a studio that is Fitzpatrick McAfee and some host like, Oh my goodness. Would that be a production? That would be, I, I hate Thursday night football. I will always hate the product that is Thursday night football when it comes to, I just think Thursday night football is a money grab. And I think the deter, you know, deteriorates the play itself, but I will probably start tuning in and break my, uh, it's probably been like five years now that I haven't watched a Thursday night game other than bills or Cardinals being involved. Um, I'll probably break that. If that is the, you know, room they create. I think Fitzpatrick is definitely a sneaky good personality. It's not sneaky good necessarily to Buffalo individuals or anyone else that he's been on a team of because you get to see a little bit more behind the scenes. And of course, we all know how, I mean, he is a guy you want to be around. He's a guy that you would definitely want to have a beer with. I mean, he definitely seems like that kind of guy and he's, he has a, he's a good sense of humor to him as well. Um, so it seems like he would be a great fit for a TV personality. But yeah, ultimately, just don't let him fade away, as you said. Don't let him disappear. Don't let him fall off the face of the earth. Let him stay involved in the game, and I hope he wants to still stay involved in the game because we need more Fitzmagic in our life. We, we, we just need more of it. I would love to see more personality of Fitzmagic now and you know, maybe get a little bit more of a Bill's Homerism you know, on broadcast or something. That always is a nice little treat there because um, clearly you know, we've been learning in this retirement process that even though he was on nine different teams in his career, there's always one that lays close in his heart. And thankfully for us, it is these Buffalo bills. And that is just awesome because we know it's a two way road when it comes to, you know, bills, loving him and him loving the bills. It's, it's great. You know, it, who knows 
maybe he will start showing up at games more often if he's not, you know, needing to be a week, you know, a TV personality on a weekly basis. Who knows? But please let him stay involved in the game. Please let him stay, you know, around. And uh, as you mentioned, just do not disappear. I don't think he's going to disappear. I think I think he'll be around. I, he's got too big of a personality. He's got too big. He's an enigma. People want to hear what he has to say. I would love to see McAfee get a bigger role in the booth. I think sometimes his comedy works against him because these networks are afraid that he's going to turn into almost like a a comedy show on the air. And and I know that's not what they're looking for, but you know, even when you look at how he does it on SmackDown, like Pat McAfee is a very, 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 very intelligent person. He understands the form that he's in. He's not going to be the guy that he is in his studio in an NFL broadcast booth. He's going to bring an element of that. It's still going to be his same personality, but he's not going to be on there dropping F bombs talking about like, Oh, there's a bildo on the field. Like, no, he's, he's going to break it down. He's going to analyze it, but he's going to do so in an entertaining way that I think these broadcasts have been just screaming far as um, it seems like we have so many cookie cutter combinations of broadcasters out there. And it, it's just hard to differentiate them. And quite honestly, I listen a lot of Sundays with my volume down and just kind of watch TV that watch games that way. And I don't really even care about the announcers outside of like Monday night and Sunday night football. All right. Well, Luca, you just made the comment that you don't want Fitzpatrick to go away. You want more Fitzpatrick. Good news for everybody. We have more Ryan Fitzpatrick because the topic had to be obvious this week, right? Our big three game. We had to do a Ryan Fitzpatrick topic. Kudos to Luca for coming up with this topic because you could talk about best Ryan Fitzpatrick plays as a bill or best Ryan Fitzpatrick wins as a bill. But I just feel like you're shortchanging the Ryan Fitzpatrick experience it if you just leave it to things on the field. So, Luca, you came up with the perfect big three topic, best Ryan Fitzpatrick moment. And that's what we're going to be drafting tonight, the best Ryan Fitzpatrick moment. And these do not have to be Bill's exclusive moments. I'm excited about this topic tonight, Lucan, and I believe it is your turn to come with a trivia question, correct? No, it's actually your turn. It is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I thought last week I'd asked you the Jacksonville playoff game that where you get all this stuff right, but that was two weeks ago. Yeah. Last week I asked you about the uh, draft picks that were sack leaders in the past 10 years. Okay. So here is my trivia question for you. In 2009, Ryan Fitzpatrick made his debut for the Bills against the New York Jets on the road, and the Bills won the game 16 to 13. And Fitzpatrick's line from that game was 116 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Luke, it's probably unfair for me to ask you who caught the touchdown pass because there's just so many names you could go through. I'm going to give you three guesses. Three. If one of them is right, you're correct. Three receivers you can name, and I, you know, it could be a running back, obviously, but I don't overthink this one. Give you three names. If one of them is right, you get the trivia question right. Who caught the first Bills touchdown from Ryan Fitzpatrick? Well, the funny part is, first and foremost, it is 2009, so my head immediately goes to obviously T.O., but I don't believe he caught a touchdown at this point in that season because I think it took him a bit. T.O. Uh, caught a touchdown his first game against Tampa Bay. It was the it was the home opener yeah. for the Bills that year, and it was a bomb by Trent Edwards. And you're like, all right, we're going places. And then, spoiler alert, 
they didn't go places. And you're right. Yeah. It was a streak after that, that he didn't catch a touchdown. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, 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 and obviously the 98 yard touchdown, just fun fact uh, mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. That was a great one. Great moment. Maybe it comes up later. Um, Hmm. I think Marshawn Lynch was, you're giving me three guesses. So I'm just going to throw out a couple names here. So are you counting my TO guess there? No, I mean, you we'll, ruled, you ruled out TO. Okay. Um, boop, 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 boop. I'll throw out Marshawn Lynch cause he was still on the team, but I don't think it was him. Yeah. Incorrect. Okay. So it's not Marshawn Lynch. Um, boop, 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 boop. you said don't overthink it. So it's not going to be a crazy name. 2009, 2009. Uh, was Lee Evans still on the team? Let's go Lee Evans. In the third quarter, the Bills were down six to th- 13 to 6. Fitzpatrick goes back with two minutes and 30 seconds left in the third quarter and unleashes a 37-yard touchdown pass to Lee Evans. Let's so go. The Bills take the okay. lead or tie it up 13 to 13, and they win the game in overtime. And I want to check the box score because I am almost positive this is the game that Mark Sanchez. Yes. Mark Sanchez <laughs> had five interceptions, Luca, and it still took the bill. Oh no. Five interceptions and one fumble. Beautiful. And the bills still needed overtime to win the game. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Hey man, those, those jets teams were good. They were good. Teams. <laughs> they were they, Rex say what you want to about Fitzpatrick. Rex shut him down. He was he was not impressed by Fitzpatrick. Except yeah. when he got to Buffalo and Fitzpatrick went to New York, then Rex couldn't stop him at all. It was the weirdest thing. All the right. irony. So what do you um, want to do? What do I want to do? Um oh man. Man, man, man. You know what? I will uh, I will give up the first pick. I will let you have the first pick. I will take second and two. There are so many good Fitzpatrick moments. I'm looking forward to going back through memory lane tonight and just remembering some of these, but there's just one moment that was like a shared moment that Fitzpatrick was part of that is special to so many of us that are listening. It was such a frustration release. What a special night. And Fitzpatrick was right there. And the best part about it is he didn't have to be there. And he was, and that's why we love him. He wasn't even on the team. He just came to support the team and the city he loves as the team got what I will say is their biggest win since the Kelly bills. When the bills stomped the Patriots on wildcard weekend, just absolutely closing the door on any conversation that the Patriots had caught up to them, taking out 20 years of frustration on this Patriots team that was the face of the evil empire that held this team back from the playoffs that just dominated the bills from 2001 until 2019 when Tom Brady finally left the division and the bills just destroyed them it was 47 to 17 on super wildcard weekend. There are so many great memories from that game. Josh Allen going bananas, rolling out, throwing a high point ball to Dawson Knox, Beautiful touch pass to Emmanuel Sanders in in the end zone. Devin Singletary running all over the Patriots. Uh, Levi Wallace with a big interception. Micah Hyde's over-the-shoulder interception. What a moment. 
what a day for Bills fans. Just the absolute best. This wasn't 31 to nothing in 2003 where it was kind of empty calories and by the end of the year the Bills were bad again. This was a playoff game that was Bill Belichick and that was the New England Patriots we sent home and goddamn it felt good. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was in the stands. On the coldest night of the year, he was in the stands with his shirt off cheering on the Bills. And that just says everything about Ryan Fitzpatrick to me. He was a quarterback for the Washington <laughs> the Washington football team. I almost did it. Oh, almost did it. I was so close. <laughs> and he wanted to come have this moment. And this is a guy that is a, a 10-figure millionaire at this point in his life. Um, he had no reason if he wanted to come to Buffalo, I guarantee you he has enough connections within the organization. He could have found himself in a nice, cozy suite that was heated. No. He wanted to sit with the fans. He wanted to experience that moment. And he wanted to cheer on the team that he still loves. He was there. People caught it on camera. What a great moment. I am so thrilled that a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was such a big part of some down years for the Bills, but was really a light in a very dark period of time, was able to be there and share that moment with all of us. It was very special to me. I know it was very special to a lot of people out there listening. So to me, as much as I love so many Fitzpatrick moments we're going to get into tonight, for him to be a part of that night with us, it has to be my number one pick. Yeah, uh, a little surprised it was your first pick, but absolutely worth the first pick. Um, it it was just, you know, what was the greatest thing to me is looking back on it and stuff. What made it so awesome was in the moment. So not being at the game, I know obviously you weren't at the game. The game is transpiring how it is and it was almost like surreal you're like you couldn't believe it so you wanted to see how the reaction was on twitter and stuff i don't know if you had the same kind of mm -hmm. you know thing that i did and all of a sudden these tweets started coming out with pictures of him and then the video that everyone knows came out on twitter and we all got to kind of experience it live because i am almost confident that at least 80 percent of bill's mafia that was not at the game and it, probably some even at the game, just because of how it was going. You wanted to see how Twitter and everything was reacting. You wanted to see what was going on because it was just surreal. It was unbelievable. And all of a sudden to put the icing on the cake, that was your excitement of what was all happening. You get to see a folk hero in Ryan Fitzpatrick sitting in the stands, as you mentioned, shirt off, enjoying the moment, just like the rest of us. And it, it, Honestly, he was already at heights that was, you know, folklore high. That probably put him at that point where I said he is the poster boy of anything good of a horrible time that is the drought era. Like the first person you probably will put to the drought era now in the face of it all is Ryan Fitzpatrick and that good old beard of his. Mm -hmm. That is that I think that was the moment that probably put it there because not only did he provide such great light moments in a drought era? He then provided and showed that he truly cared about this team to the point that he wanted to come back while he was still, as you brought up, under contract for another NFL organization at that point in time. It's just, it's a great memory. It's an awesome moment. I think you did an incredible job describing it and uh, excellent first pick. All right. Thank you. Now you are on the clock with your first oh. pick. Um, yeah, so I wanted to see where you went with your first pick. Cause I kind of had like a one, a one B and, um, 
the fun part is I told you and, you know, I messaged you this morning on what we would do as this. And I specifically said memories. And I know you loved that. And it was because the first memory that comes to my mind may have been that, but it actually wasn't. And this is my one A to that being my one B of what you selected. And it was back in 2018 that in February of that year, WGR uh, did a little roast of Fred Jackson and invited, you know, teammates of his and alums and whatnot of the bills to come back. And you had like Aaron Williams and Eric Wood come back to participate in this whole event and stuff. And Ryan Fitzpatrick was also on this list. And I did not unfortunately attend this event, but when I heard the reaction from a couple individuals that actually did were lucky enough, I should say, to have gone, they told me, you need to find videos of this immediately. And I was just like, why? I mean, I'm sure it was pretty funny and stuff. It's just, it seemed like it'd probably be a classic event and things like that. And they're like, no, you'll love Fitzpatrick's, you know, set. You'll love it. I'm like, okay. So luckily, I believe it was a few weeks later, someone had posted their phone recording. And if anyone wants to take this time, pause this right now. If you haven't already, look up Ryan Fitzpatrick's set at the uh, Fred Jackson roast in 2018. You can find it on YouTube. You know, I, you know, funny enough, Josh is that video actually pops up on my suggested all the time on YouTube, just like cycles, even though I've already seen it. Cause you've bunch. watched it so many times. Yeah, Cause I've watched it so many times. Yeah. It just like comes back if I haven't watched it for like a few months. And then I, d- I don't watch it until like, I'm finally like, Oh, I got to watch this. Cause there, the thing that this was when I really was like, Oh my God, Ryan Fitzpatrick really is more than just you know, a fan favorite, you know, kind of a little silly locker room guy. This is when I realized Ryan Fitzpatrick really is a great personality and truth. Like I was like, I would love to be around him on a regular basis, his sense of comedy and everything. And the, the memory I'm getting at is his entire set for this roast. You could tell that he cared about Fred Jackson because of how hard he went at this thing. And I mean, he went from, and I'll, I'll say one of his jokes, you know, when he opens it up essentially with, you know, he, he talks about how everyone's, you know, you invite a bunch of former Bills players up on stage with high expectations of them to be funny. And that's like trying to convince a Bills fan that Tyrod Taylor is a franchise quarterback in 2018 when Tyrod Taylor <laughs> yes. had just <laughs> finished up. It is like, oh, man, he's coming out swinging. And he went from that into really digging into Eric Wood's retirement announcement, which was, as I think he put it under two minutes and he kind of did his own rendition. And then he also did a Fred Jackson version of a retirement announcement of which he accommodated these with wardrobe changes and they were spot on, just unbelievably perfect. It was just, it was, I want to say it probably lasted about. 12 minutes and it was one of the funniest 12 minute sets I have ever seen in a roast setting or anything like that. I think he did such a fantastic job and he absolutely deserved to be the last one up to do that. As you, if you go to watch, if you haven't already, he deserved that and he wrapped it up with all the kindness and how he appreciated everything and how much he did love Fred Jackson and things like that. And he, you know, he was happy to be there. That's when you knew he both cared about the situation of which he was 
He also tried as hard as he could and he nailed it. He knocked it out of the park. He is truthfully an incredibly funny guy and he just gets how to play to the audience. He knew who was sitting in front of him. He knew who was sitting next to him and Fred Jackson and just nailed everything. It was just perfect. And for that reason, that is my number one and the number two overall in this game. Fitzpatrick memory. I cannot back that up enough. If it wasn't for the heartstrings of beating New England in a playoff game, this Fitzpatrick roast of Fred Jackson and Eric, well, it's, it's Eric Woods roast, but what he ends up doing with Fred Jackson, <laughs> it is tear jerkingly hilarious. You will be wiping tears from your face. And I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to play spoiler alert because I want you, I want any of you out there who are listening to hear this fresh, please go find it. Um, but I mean, you're talking about shots at Doug Whaley and John Murphy and Fred Jackson's oh, brother. And it just, it never stops. And it is amazing. It, it is amazing. And this to me, it, it was, it was the perfect encapsulation of what Fitz was where in a lot of ways, it's very similar to what I believe Josh Allen is right now is he's the quarterback. Yes. So we all understand like the quarterback is, you know, a little bit different than everybody else on the team, but he is one of the guys. And that is so important when you see some of these disconnects um, quarterbacks have, I think maybe Kirk cousins is a little bit this way where, you know, I don't know how well he gets along with his teammates. Um, you can just tell Fitzpatrick's teammates love him. Josh Allen's teammates love him. And there's something special about that. And I understand it's kind of corny and hokey, like, oh, they're going to run through a wall for this guy. But there's also something to that. And he leaves it on the field. And that's important. And that obviously gets their respect. But to be able to relate to them in this manner, to be able to take shots at them and have them laugh, you can just tell it's a genuine relationship. These are proud millionaires that have been great at everything their entire life. So a lot of times laughing at themselves is not the easiest thing to do. And he just got up there and owned the room. And I I just can't say enough about it. I'm probably, as soon as we get off the air, going to go watch it again. That's how good it was. Great pick. Yeah, no, perfectly wrapped up. But now I think I'm going to take the first game memory of Ryan Fitzpatrick just because the value is too good. Um, it, it's, it's, of course, I alluded to it earlier in this episode. It's the game that I believe everyone relates to as the birth of Fitzmagic, although he had good games before this. I mean, he had one literally the week prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but... This is the one that truly encapsulates everyone's love of Fitzpatrick and really just it's funny because it literally so we talked about also how his first ever look in the NFL I mentioned you know and you mentioned as well Bulger was out uh the starter at the time that I still can't think of his name just some generic backup name um gets a concussion Fitzpatrick comes in, has no idea what he's doing. They're down to the Texans. And all of a sudden, Fitzpatrick in the second half just started hitting lasers down the field, started doing everything right, and let a comeback win. So that's his first ever experience. And then started losing afterwards, unfortunately, with St. Louis. He comes to the Bills, finds not great success when it comes to wins, but he can put a game together here or there. Then the 2011 season comes. And it starts pretty damn good. I'm not going to get into the first two games because, of course, we're going to week three. 
and the memory is the game as a whole. But that week three game against the Patriots and Ryan Fitzpatrick, it just goes hand in hand. I think there's literally YouTube videos out there that call it the birth of Fitz magic. I'm pretty sure like, and it's just, you know, the condensed clips and highlights of that game. That's all it is. And there's a reason for that because the first half of that game, I don't have to go at length about it, but it basically did everything you would expect with a Patriots game. We can't do a damn thing. The Patriots are just moving the ball down with ease, essentially, for the first quarter and then basically the majority of the second quarter. I think they were up 21-0. And then we kind of have a nice drive, go down. Or sorry, no, it actually starts because Brady threw an interception to Brian Scott, I believe it was, in the red zone. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. And then we drove down, got a touchdown, and then... Maybe, oh no, I confused that. I think it's touchdown first, Brian Scott interception, then the field goal. That's what it is. Sorry. So anyways, we go into halftime and it's kind of just going exactly what it is. And then all of a sudden hell just broke loose. Second half comes and like, I don't know. It's the only game in my mind that the Patriots were not the Patriots. Like they really lost the game kind of, but Fitzpatrick just capitalized on everything. He was hitting every pass. I brought it up that the leading receiver was not even Stevie Johnson. Like he was just hitting every ball he needed to hit to Donald Jones. He was hitting the check downs to Fred Jackson perfectly, who was also running the ball great that day. Um, Stevie Johnson was a factor. I mean, I believe it was Stevie Johnson that was the first touchdown of the game for the Bills, that is, on a fade back right, if I remember things correctly. But anyways, in the second half, he's just hitting everything. And that final drive were the first play. It's, it's a tie game with 325 left. The first play, Fitzpatrick just hits Donald Jones for 29 yards and then hits Fred Jackson on a screen for 12 yards. And it was just like, holy shit, this guy really is magic. Like he, that was, as it's rightfully believed to be, he is Fitz magic. And then he hits that nice little check down down the middle to Fred Jackson. Fred Jackson, of course, looks to be like he scored. It is then brought back after review to the one. Um, I think Vince Wilfork also on second down took a personal foul or an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, mm-hmm. which then Bill Belichick and the the images of him just freaking out on the sideline and just going absolutely apeshit was just a chef's kiss to every Bills fan out there. Fitzpatrick just kneels it out to the point where we kicked the winning field goal. Fitzpatrick's going crazy, and everyone I think in the entire Bills Mafia fandom just fell absolutely head over heels in love with Fitzmagic. And it has to be that memory that I draft secondly because it is the game of Fitzmagic and Fitzpatrick and the reason that every Bills fan will always look back in the first game that they look back to and believe him to be, as we talked about, probably the best quarterback in between Kelly and Allen. And that is the highlight of it and the crown jewel of all the other games that he also had success with in the minimal amount with the bills that is the crown jewel of the success of ryan fitzpatrick so for my second pick the third pick in this draft it has to be that week three win against the patriots in 2011 that was just magical it's the best game of the drought and i know we've done a draft of the drought and i picked 31 to nothing over it because of how i felt that day but i think when you really take a step back when the Bills won 31 to nothing against New England in 2003, 
sure we had the frustrations from the previous season of the Patriots beating the Bills handily twice. And there was that idea of like, oh no, do they own Bledsoe? And then there was all the stuff with the lawyer Malloy drama. Um, but really, like the wounds of the Patriots were still very, very fresh. It was much more, it wasn't even about like, oh, they're better than us. It was more about like, we have to prove we won the Bledsoe trade. It, at that point, like they really hadn't tormented us once. They did have a Super Bowl under their belt, but it, at that point, it felt kind of fluky. Um, by the time 2011 rolled around, we were in the mode of, we have no chance to win our division. We better hope we play the Patriots week 17. Maybe they're going to rest their starters because if they care about the game, we're going to lose. And we just have to hope that of the four division teams that we know we're not going to be one of them, of the four division winners, there are 12 teams remaining and there's two spots for those 12 teams. Hopefully our record is good enough to get one of those two spots for the wild card. That's the life we lived. Every year it was Patriots beat us. There were some heartbreakers in there. The McKelvin game. Um, you know, we talked about that a while ago. There was a Lossman game in 2006 where the Bills had a lead in Foxborough and then Lossman took a bad safety in the end zone. And what this Fitzpatrick game was to me outside of 31 to nothing was the only, this is so depressing, the only legitimate win over the Tom Brady Patriots outside of 31 to nothing, which ended up proving uh. to be a laughable fluke with the way the Patriots came back and beat the Bills 31 to nothing in week 17. They beat the Patriots in week 17 of 2014 with Kyle Orton. Uh, Patriots rested their starters that game. Tom Brady started for a few drives, gave way to Jimmy Garoppolo. Patriots had everything locked up, didn't care about the win. They beat the Patriots in 2000 and let me get the date right. 2016 with Rex's second year when Tom Brady was suspended and Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt. So the Patriots started their third string quarterback, Jacoby Brissett. And that's the end of the Bills wins over the Patriots. And then there was the birth of Fitzpatrick. I have a quick story about this game. I have watched, and I, I don't even know if I really want to admit this on the air because it's it's actually kind of depressing. I have watched every Bills game since 1998 live. I've been to several Bills games, but I've watched them all live. It's my appointment. Everybody in my life knows I don't miss Bills games. If you need me on a Sunday, you plan around the Bills games. I don't I don't miss Bills games for whatever you have planned. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. One Bills game in that time span I had to miss. And it was this one because I had just recently bought a house and this girl I was dating at the time, I don't want to just blast her on the radio, but like we were young and dumb and her idea of like, let's just move into this house and let's paint every room at the same time. So we have this house that just is one big construction site. And that's not interesting to anybody listening to this. I don't recommend that if you're buying a house, um, do one room at a time, you know, let yourself live in the house and enjoy it. But it got to the point of we needed help. And it just so happened that the people that we got to help us were only available to come on Sunday. And I just, it just was hard for me to be like, well, I can't go to that house because I want to watch football that day, but the rest of you come paint my house for me. It was a real tough spot for me to be in. So I was just like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to DVR this game. I'm going to, everybody in my house needs to have phones off. It was a Patriots game. I was realistic about what was going to happen. Right. Um, but everybody has phones off. Nobody give me any updates. 
we'll paint. I'll go home and I'll watch the game. Fine. So like the day is going on and people in my house are getting texts. Every time a text comes through, I'm like, is that about the Bills game? And then they're all kind of like, no, of course not. You know, like, why would somebody be texting me about the Bills game? Well, turns out they were because people were like, oh my God, this Bills game's crazy. And then I went to go drop something off at my sister's house that night before I was going home. I had made it no spoilers, had the had my sister go out to my car before I left and make sure that the radio was turned down just in case it happened to be on a sports station. I mean, that's how paranoid I was, Luca. And I get to my, my sister's house and my nephew, who he was born in 06, so he would have been five at the time, comes running to the door and my sister says, you got to go now. He's going to tell you about the Bills game. And I knew at that point something big had happened. So then I go home and I watch the game on DVR in the back of my mind, waiting for something big to happen. So the coolest Bills game of the drought, I had a little bit of shine taken off of because I kind of had an inkling they were going to win as I'm watching it. Um, But yeah, what a moment. Sucks for me that I didn't get to watch that one live, but what a cool moment. I watched that. I have watched that game over and over again since it took place. And that was just like, as much as I talked about this playoff game, beating Mac Jones and Belichick, like beating them in the playoffs is much bigger than beating them in week three, but beating Tom Brady when Tom Brady wants to win didn't happen a lot for these Buffalo bills and they got it done. And and that was a great pick by you. That's an amazing story that you just brought up. Depressing. Um, I think I feel like you've brought it up before, but I did not remember it. And, um, you know, what's funny. I almost like, I love that you got to watch it expecting positivity because mm-hmm. you you were probably watching that first quarter in the first half of the second quarter and you were like when the hell is this thing turning around because they literally i mean when you watch it back they killed us gronkowski was just open Wes welker killed us like mm-hmm. every it was like what the hell is going on like this is the classic hey we're gonna lose you know 52 to 12 or you know, whatever, 52, 14, 52, 10, whatever it's going to be like, is, we're going to get blown out here. This is a disaster. So you got to watch it with already kind of like positivity in the back of your head. Cause you were expecting something good to happen. Right. So you get that early on and it's almost like you didn't have to go through the pain of watching it live, just being like sinking into your couch, realizing that you're just watching yet another 48 to 10 ass beating at the hand <laughs> of Tom Brady and the Patriots. You're just like, yeah, I mean, you something good's gonna happen right eventually right okay all right so then when that you know brian scott pick comes in late in the first half you're just like okay okay something's happening here like that's an interesting dynamic to be able to watch that game for the first time very fascinating it's funny uh, you say that because when drayton florence got the pick six at the end to give the bills a seven point lead i'm thinking okay here it is the bills are gonna win and it's like brady slice dice slice dice touchdown and i'm like what the fuck the bills win this game right like my nephew wasn't just like super excited to tell me they lost like i'm never gonna talk to him again and then although even on that drive even on that drive that brady scored to tie it back up the thing i actually remember is uh ocho cinco dropped a big ball Mm -hmm. there was still plenty of time on the clock and he dropped a wide open big ball and i remember when I was watching it live, thinking to myself, that's it. Like that was like, obviously the Drayton Florence pick six is when you really are like, holy shit, we might actually win this game. Tom Brady's getting the ball back though. With like, I think at that point it was like nine minutes or something, 10 minutes, maybe even. And yeah, they methodically started moving down. Then Brady takes the shot. I want to say it was on the right sideline. I mean, Ocho Cinco is open by over a step 
and he just drops the ball with like eight minutes left, I want to say. And that was when I was like, holy shit. I mean, they might still drive down and score, but it's going to take them a lot longer. They're not getting that free big play there. Like it's not coming. Like something's happening where they just can't get that play anymore because it's just not working. They haven't been all second half. They weren't getting that play like they were in the first half. So something is happening. I think that's the moment that sticks in my head is when I really was like, even if they score, which I think they scored with like, uh, I don't even remember how much time it was like six minutes left. I was like, even if they score or something like, I don't remember the time anymore. Um, I was like, we could still win this game. Like Fitzpatrick is on fire. He's doing great. He's not throwing picks like he was, you know, early on. Not that I think only one of them was really his fault. I think the other one was a batted ball or, um, or a receiver, like just hit him right mm-hmm. in the hands and it went to, uh, what's his name? The corner for them. Number 24. I can't think of his name. Um, but regardless, I was like, Mojo's good for once ever in our life. Like that's the only game I think I ever remember, like calls going our way. All of a sudden the bounces were going our way against yes. the Patriots, I should say. Like that was the only game I ever remember that happening. And it's just, that's truthfully why it's Fitz magic. He of course is the quarterback that did that because, and we might bring up more examples later, potentially. I mean, it seemed to follow him throughout his entire career where randomly those games happen where it's like these teams that shouldn't get the bounces all of a sudden start getting the bounces, start getting the calls. And he just makes things happen somehow, some way, but enough about that game. Let's move on to your next pick, your second pick, the fourth pick in this big three game. Well, I'm afraid this one's going to be a little redundant with the last one. It certainly isn't as good as the last one, but there's a legendary moment at the end of the game that we all remember. And it's actually the same season a week before. And I'm going to paint the picture a little bit. This The Patriots game hadn't happened. The Patriots game was the next week, but the Bills week one went to Kansas City, who was a playoff team. The Bills were coming off of a miserable season in 2010 where they had no answer at quarterback and they had the third pick in the draft and they just and they drafted Marcel Darius and there was just no expectations the Bills were going to be good this year. They're opening up the season at Arrowhead to play the Chiefs and the Bills are of course going to lose except the Bills go out there and they win 41 to 7 and Fitzpatrick is just throwing the ball all over the field. And it's like, "Wait a minute, are the are the Bills are they, are they good? Are are the Chiefs just bad?" I think there was some thought that the Chiefs were kind of a paper tiger as their as a playoff team. Um, but it was like, wait a minute, 41 to seven on the road on opening day. Is it possible the bills are good? Like I know Stevie Johnson's kind of good. Maybe there's something here with Fitzpatrick, but you know, we're, we're coming home week two to play the Raiders. The Raiders are not anything great. They're just kind of an average team. This is going to be a party in Buffalo. We're going to be two and oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And a funny thing happened in that Raiders game. Luca, the Raiders started off with a 21 to nothing lead. Second quarter, Michael Bush touchdown. Second quarter, Darren McFadden touchdown. We finally get on the board with a Ryan Lindell field goal, and then boom, Jason Campbell quarterback sneak for a touchdown. The Bills are down 21-3 to at halftime. And I remember distinctly, as the teams are walking off the field at halftime, there's a camera on Hugh Jackson, who was the coach of the Raiders at the time, and he was smirking. And it, it probably wasn't anything for all you know, like maybe somebody just made a comment to him on the field, and he was just you know reacting to it. But as a Bills fan, you know, being overly sensitive, I'm thinking he's thinking to himself, this team was supposed to be good and we're just manhandling them. This is hilarious. That's probably not at all what happened. He probably was just like having a conversation with a referee who just wasn't on camera. Who knows? But then the third quarter happens and the Bills come out and they score two touchdowns. 
Fred Jackson run and then Stevie Johnson, Stevie Johnson pass. And then the fourth quarter of all fourth quarters takes place. The bills enter the fourth quarter. They are down 21 to 17 and Fred Jackson starts off the fourth quarter with a touchdown. Boom. Hey, the bills are in the lead 24 to 21 next drive. Darren McFadden touchdown. Oh man, the Raiders are back in the lead 28 to 24. That's okay. Next drive, Scott Chandler touchdown. The bills are up 31 to 28. Oh man, we just cannot stop Jason Campbell and the damn Raiders. Denarius Moore, 50 yard touchdown pass 35 to 31 with three minutes and 41 seconds left. And now we need another Fitzpatrick miracle. The bills have already scored two touchdowns this quarter. There's no way they're going to score three, right? Wrong. 14 seconds to go, fourth down, the Bills six yards out, Ryan Fitzpatrick finds David Nelson for a six-yard touchdown pass, and the Bills win 38-35, to and the legend of the Fitz scream was born. Fitz was mic'd for that game. BuffaloBills.com had him mic'd up for the game, and when he throws a touchdown, he turns around and lets out an audible scream that quite frankly sounded like a lady. (laughs) It was a shriek, a high-pitched shriek. It was amazing. If you heard it, it'll probably make you laugh. It's very relatable. He was super into that moment. I will say side note on this game, there's a very scary sequence where even 14 seconds, I'm so glad it was 14 and not 13 seconds. Even though the Raiders were down by three, they got the ball to midfield and then Jason Campbell throws a Hail Mary and Denarius Moore, who had himself a day that I want to see how many receiving yards he had. Because I remember thinking, man, this Denarius Moore is going to be a superstar. 146 yards and a touchdown. And the Hail Mary went off of his hands, batted up in the air, and he trapped it on the ground. And then the CBS broadcast goes off the air saying, hey, Bills win. They're shaking hands. I'm listening to Chopin Bulldog on WGR's postgame show. And Jeremy White, who's the morning show host, calls in and because he has season tickets and he's like, guys, because they're going into there like, hey, the Bills win and, you know, here are the stats from the game. Let's go through that whole sequence. And Jeremy White's like, guys, like they're reviewing this play. I, I know CBS isn't covering it anymore, but they're reviewing this play if it's a touchdown or not. And so, like, it's no longer on our TV. Shope and Bulldog are like in the middle of their post game show talking about a Bills win, and they're literally just bracing for Jeremy to relay over the phone what the referee announces over the loudspeaker, which does confirm that the Bills won. What I mean, the ultimate Billsy way to lose would be in a post game show that the Bills win, the referees decide they actually lose, would have been amazing. But the Bills do win that game. It was Fitzpatrick's comeback, and to me, Look, it's it's never like, hey, you beat the Raiders at home, let's celebrate. But after what happened week one against Kansas City, to come back and lose to the Raiders at home, it would have just been like, okay, it's another average Bills team that's not going to amount to anything. They had every reason to quit this game. Fitzpatrick brought them out of the fire multiple times in the fourth quarter, three fourth quarter touchdowns, and the Bills win to get to 2-0, and and the Fitz scream was born. It's my second pick. Great pick. It was also fourth on my list, so I think we're on the we're El Simpatico right now here. It it was I mean I feel like you didn't have to say it was redundant. It, it's a totally different memory. It's just funny that those two things that we brought up happen back to back times. The scream though is great. I mean I don't know if it's going to be brought up here, but like there's another clip that people use 
where I think it was Eric Decker spooked him from behind on a post game, you know, on the field mm-hmm. little moment. And he kind of lets out that same little excited scream. And then he kind of snaps back. He's like, wait, are we live? <laughs> and he realized that it got caught on air again. And it's just, it's hilarious that a guy, you know, with a big old beard and, and, you know, has the demeanor that he does. Yes, he's a little silly and stuff, but it's perfect. But who Ryan Fitzpatrick is, all of a sudden when he lets out screams, as you said, it's very uh, ladylike and it's unexpected. And uh, I love it. I, I love that moment. It's a great memory of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think you did a great job painting the picture uh, for your second and the fourth pick in this. So now I'm excited to hear the last pick you have for this. Well, I'm going to go off the beaten path for my last pick because this is not anything to do with the Bills, but it's a great Fitzpatrick memory. In 2018, September 16th of 2018, I am going to look up now what the game was, although it might be kind of irrelevant. Okay, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers upset the Philadelphia Eagles 27-21. to And in 2018, so the Eagles would have been the defending Super Bowl champions. The game was in Tampa Bay. Fitzpatrick is playing for uh, Jameis Winston, who was suspended. And Fitzpatrick comes out to his post-game press conference looking a lot like Conor McGregor. He has a jacket that is unzipped, exposing his chest hair. He has jewelry on around his neck. He has sunglasses on. The clothes clearly don't fit, but he looks just like Conor McGregor. So the press conference is going on and you're watching it like, okay, what's the deal here? What's the, what's going on? But they're just going through it business as usual. And then all of a sudden the reporters start laughing and a camera pans over and Deshaun Jackson is standing there in a towel laughing. And Fitzpatrick says, I got to wrap this up. Deshaun needs his stuff back. He had stolen while Deshaun Jackson was showering after the game. He had stolen all of his clothes, put them on and went to the press conference dressed as Deshaun Jackson. So then he starts getting peppered with questions about like, is any of this stuff yours? Is this all Deshaun Jackson's and Fitzpatrick in classic quick wit fashion goes the chest hair is mine. And just a perfect line. The dude never misses a beat. Again, another example of a guy that is comfortable within himself. Deshaun Jackson was at one point in time a superstar in this league, obviously a multimillionaire, and Fitzpatrick just knows that he can take a joke, and he's on that level of making jokes with teammates that are high-level, borderline superstars in the league, and that's why his teammates love him, and he doesn't take himself too seriously, and they don't take themselves too seriously when relating to him. It was a it was a very good moment, and I loved every minute of it, even though it had nothing to do with the bills. Uh, it was just Fitzpatrick at his best. It was so easy to root for him. And, you know, it, it's always been easy rooting for him. And, um, you know, I'll get into that even more in my last pick. Cause I think I know what I'm going to go with, with my long lead up, of course, but yeah, that moment. I mean, that's the image. I think everyone has of Fitzpatrick overall, just league wide. I'm sure even bills fans, honestly, probably use that image. I mean, it is so perfect. And and as you brought up and you and you mentioned, like he came out like that. And then I think the first thing he said, you know, he's like, you know, we got to try to remain humble and and everyone's <laughs> trying to, you know, be focused on everything. And, you know, everyone in the room is just looking at him like, what in the world are you wearing? 
And yeah, of course, like eventually he breaks because Deshaun Jackson's there and he mentions, you know, Deshaun wants his stuff back. And it's it's a it's a beautiful moment. And on top of it all, I mean, Fitzpatrick's balling at this point. He threw for over 400 yards the first week. This being week two, he threw for over 400 yards again in an upset against the Eagles. I mean, he was rolling. And then, I mean, the week after even he threw for over 400 yards again. I do believe Tampa lost that game against whoever it was. But um it was, I think he's still the only NFL quarterback to start a season with three consecutive 400 yard plus passing yard games. I think I'm not positive at this point because who knows, but at the time he was. And um, it's just an awesome memory. It's a great memory. I think it's a great uh, finish to your memory list. I think it's a, I mean, that was probably going to be my pick if you did not take it. It's just, it's a great, great, I mean, it's, it's, that's a picture that should be on a Ryan Fitzpatrick biography book. If that ever comes that that's the image that should be on it. I think it perfectly encapsulates who Fitzpatrick is, especially with a quote. If he talks about how we're trying to remain humble, like it would be just, just an absolute perfect chef's kiss, just absolute perfection. So, um, great pick. Great. Thank pick. you. All right. Now into the last pick of this game and my last pick as well. There's a few memories I had written down here, um, and uh, there, there's a couple moments. There's one that's kind of interesting with me. I'm, it's not my pick, but I definitely want to just give it a little shout out because it's a fun game that I look back to now. Um, we've brought up how I am a fan of the Cardinals as well, and there was a game that he was involved in, uh, coincidentally as well, that actually struck some fear in me, uh, or at least the Cardinals fan in me. And he almost led a, a comeback week six of 2017 when Winston got knocked out of the game and the Cardinals were dominating. And it was a game I went into so excited because it's actually the debut of Adrian Peterson when he got traded to the Cardinals. And all of a sudden it went from Adrian Peterson's debut and, you know, the Cardinals are rolling to holy shit. Ryan Fitzpatrick is starting to string together passes here. Holy shit. He's hitting, you know, Mike Evans way down the field for touchdowns. What the hell is happening? Holy crap. They're within a score. Ryan Fitzpatrick's about to do it again. Luckily that didn't happen, but that's not the one I'm going to go with. There's also a press conference moment that I think deserves it. And, you know, maybe we can talk about it after that. I'm not going to go with because the memory I'm going to do is kind of like a, um, it was kind of like a, I was upset about the success of which it was, but it was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So I still loved it anyways. I'm going back to 2020. So not too long ago. And there's a game that also involved the Raiders that Ryan Fitzpatrick made an appearance in and just made you just, he shouldn't let you or let us as Bills fans enjoy this. But Ryan Fitzpatrick was called into action for the Dolphins and Tua was struggling in this game for the Dolphins against the Raiders in Vegas. And I think at the point that he finally got pulled in the fourth quarter, he didn't even have a hundred yards passing. I want to say it was in like the nineties. The, the Dolphins could not get a lot going on. The Raiders are just doing great. So then I believe at the 10 minute mark, the Dolphins get the ball, the nine forty seven mark. Now that I have it in front of me, the Dolphins get the ball on their own 12. And all of a sudden they pulled Tua, and Ryan Fitzpatrick comes, you know, jogging right into the game. And he just leaves a drive right down the field. Unfortunately, they don't score a touchdown. They get a field goal. Raiders just, boom, hit Aguilar for an 85-yard touchdown. At this point in time, with three and a half, or no, close to four minutes left, 
it seems like it's game over. Fitzpatrick comes back in, bang, hits Miles Gaskin for a 59-yard touchdown. Ensuing kickoff, they hold the Raiders to a field goal, but there's only 23 seconds left. They actually only get the ball back with 19 seconds left. So the Dolphins cannot. There is no way the Dolphins can win this game at this point. I believe, though, if I'm doing my math right, at this point in time, excuse me, they were down two points, so all they need is a field goal. They just got to get in range. I just wanted to make sure I got the number right there. So what does Ryan Fitzpatrick do? And I, I, I want to say this was a 4 o'clock game because I remember watching this moment live because it was on one of my TVs, the small TV. I believe it was a primetime game. Maybe was like it a, a Thursday, Thursday night, night game. game? Okay. I'll, I'll check on that now. I remember go watching it. Yeah, I think it's Thursday night. You're right. I just remember watching this and just thinking, holy shit, Ryan Fitzpatrick just made you love him again. I have to choose this though because of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick drops back. His pocket looks like dog shit. <laughs> he, he goes, he sees Mac Hollins on the left sideline and right as he's about to release it, I know everyone knows this, he gets his face mask absolutely clenched and ripped to his left. But he still somehow, some way, just throws an absolute, I mean, it's a floater, okay? It's not exactly like it's a dart or anything, but it is a perfect ball to Mac Hollins on the sideline to get him out, to get the additional 15 yards. And at that point in time, they're already at the Vegas 26. They can kick the go-ahead field goal, and it's game over. It was just like, yes, it was the Dolphins who were in a playoff hunt at this point. You don't want to root for it. but God damn it. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. How do you not just love that moment? And uh, you were correct. It was a Thursday night game. Or Saturday. Saturday night game. Sorry. It was a prime time. It was the day after Christmas. Um. But the image of him just getting his face mask ripped and still throwing a dot to then set up a game-winning field goal was absolute. It, it shouldn't happen. No, In no world should that play be successful. But because it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, because he is magic, of course it happened. Of course they go on to win the game. And he just pulled something completely out of his ass, got completely lucky, and God damn it, that's exactly what we love about him. So that has to be my last pick in this draft. It's a great pick. That Dolphins team was right in the thick of things. That was their 15th game of the season. And they, if they lost that game, they would have pretty much been out of playoff contention. Instead, they extended their season and then they drew the Bills week 17. But the Bills had everything locked up. The Bills still could have um, had seeding. They they weren't in the running for the one seed. Um, They still could have fallen, I think, to the two or the the three. They were in the two. They could have fallen to the three. Um, The Steelers had already come out who were sitting at the two, I believe, at the time and said they were going to rest their starters. Um, I think I have this right. And I remember thinking, like, I want the Bills to win because the Bills winning was the only way they could avoid Baltimore. Baltimore was the one team I wanted to avoid in the first round. That's neither here nor there. The point is that the Dolphins needed to win that game in, in Vegas to keep their season alive. They pulled Tua, brought in Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick got it done. And I think it was it was kind of similar to like Flutie Johnson, where the first round pick, the Bills trade a first round pick for Johnson. 
the Dolphins had picked two in the first round, kept stumbling. They had this guy on the bench who wasn't necessarily the prototype, was an older quarterback, but kept coming in and pulling them out of the fire. It was it was very interesting to see. I, I do wonder how much it stunted to his growth to keep pulling him out of those fourth quarter situations. That's okay. Yeah, I'm good with it. Um, but that's a good pick. There, there was some good moments for Fitz on other teams. I'm, you know, that's a good pick for you for your third pick. There was that week one game against the Saints when he started for the Bucks, and the Saints were a huge favorite, and he just he just wrecked a lot of people's eliminator pools that year. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. there was, I mean, it was against the Bills, and it was depressing as hell at the time. But that Thursday night football game in Buffalo, um, oh, yeah. week two, where he just shredded Rex Ryan's defense. Eric Decker, uh, Qu- Quincy and Nunwa and Brandon Marshall, just torching the bills defense back Quincy shoulder passes all game. Oh my goodness. And then there was one moment that I don't think anybody remembers. Maybe besides me, um, there was the 2012 game in new England that ends on the intercept. You'll remember this part ends on the interception um, where the bills are driving down. It feels like they're going to win. And then there's an interception in the end zone where Fitzpatrick's looking for TJ Graham. And it felt like the Bills should have won that game. There's a play on that drive where Brandon Spikes hits Fitz late, and the microphone on the field still is like close enough in there. And Fitzpatrick's just looking at him, going, Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. Fuck you, man. And it's coming right over on the mic. And I'm just like, Oh my God, Fitz does not give a shit. Cause Brandon Spikes is a pretty, pretty big dude. And he also has a little bit of an anger issue. So. Fitzpatrick, I mean, he had his entire offensive line out there to protect him, but, you know, he wasn't going to back down from Brandon Spikes. There are some really fun moments, and I really enjoyed uh, this trip down Fitz memory lane tonight. Uh, so to recap our big three draft, I kicked it off with Fitzpatrick being in the stands for the Bills' super wild card weekend win over the New England Patriots this past season. Luca made his first round pick, the Fitzpatrick roast of Fred Jackson um, and also and Eric Wood. There was the Fred Jackson. I keep getting it was Fred Jackson roast, it's, but it's he, Fred Jackson roast, but he just also annihilated Eric Wood at the same time. Yes. I mean, roast worked that way. Like you always roast everyone in the party and stuff like that. So and then Luca followed it up. Well, you have a really strong class here. I think you're going to win this one because you got two of the top three picks. Uh, Luca oh, yeah. follows it up with the 2011 Bills win over New England, where Fitz Fitz Magic is born. I go a week before that and take the Fitz scream game against the Raiders. And then I have Fitzpatrick coming out to a press conference in Tampa Bay in Deshaun Jackson's clothing. And then Luca follows it up with Fitzpatrick carrying the Dolphins to victory, saving their season against the Raiders. Luca, it was fun tonight. This really turned into kind of a Fitzpatrick episode. You know, we're at that interesting point in the offseason where there's not a whole lot of news to dive into. Um, as the weeks go on, we are going to start taking a larger look at the Bills opponents, how the Bills are going to match up. Uh, we do have some topics we want to get into related to Sean McDermott. Um, we're, we're always going to dive into the roster. We're going to keep our ear to the ground on the Jordan Poyer situation as mandatory camp starts picking up here soon, although media access starts getting limited for a lot of that stuff. So I don't know what kind of coverage we're going to get for that stuff. Um, but Luca, we are going to say goodbye to you because you will not be with us next week. You are going to be traveling and we will be tagging in Stokes 
We talked a lot about Fitzpatrick tonight. He's been like a high-end backup quarterback starter. I think if you look at Stokes on like the level of like a backup that we're going to tag in, I think he's on that Frank Reich level where he could come in and he can absolutely win you a game. I'm, I have all the confidence in the world that Stokes is going to come in and keep this ship floating. I'm excited to see his debut. I, I'm with you. I'm I'm excited to see what he can bring this program. Um, I can't wait to listen to it. I'll get a little bit of a pre-listen before all of our listeners here, just because I also still have to do the editing of everything. But I'm very, very excited. Uh, I mean, it's a shame I'm out of town. It's for good, good and exciting reasons. You know, I, I get to celebrate uh, one of my good friends unions with a wonderful lady of his um, and then also spend some time with him prior in his place it's just a lot going on you know and, and i'm excited to be you know out and about and doing things with friends and whatnot but uh i will be excited when you let me know that it's all recorded and ready to go and i get to edit it real quick and give it a pre-listen but uh i think stokes will do great i think uh i think uh you'll you'll work seamlessly with him i know you guys have uh, done other stuff we've done in the past when it comes to content and whatnot but um yeah it'll be fun. I, I think everyone will really enjoy it. And I think it'll be a good mix because we, we, you know, we started this podcast in the heart of free agency and we, we dove into that and then we dove into the draft and all the lead up to the draft. And then we reviewed the draft and then we kind of did a whole like after the draft and after free agency recap. And then, you know, we hit some points last week of, you know, some of our least favorite bills moments. And then we had a Fitzpatrick episode I think it'll be nice to kind of wrap it all up and get a fresh perspective and really kind of recap it with a new perspective from Stokes that, you know, what have we left out? What's important to him? What would he like to see from this roster? What did he think of the Von Miller signing? Was he in favor of the Bills taking a cornerback in the first round? Um, Should they have gone maybe offense? Um, You know, all this stuff that we've kicked around, it'll be nice to get a, a, a new fresh opinion and Stokes is a diehard Bills fan. He's right there with us. I think he's going to do great. I look forward to that. I look forward, Luca, to you coming back in two weeks. We'll be back on the air then. Until then, for Luca, this is Josh, and we will see you next time on Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bills Chat, a pro football podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already, at Bills Chat Pod. And also be sure to subscribe to this channel on whatever platform it is you choose to spend your time listening to us every week. Look forward to talking to you all again next time.